0: The bottom line in business, Voice America Business.
1: Welcome to the Money Answer Show with host Jordan Goodman. Whether you are starting out, deep into your retirement, or somewhere in between, the Money Answer Show has the know-how to help you. Now here's your host, Jordan Goodman.
2: Welcome to the Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host, and my guest uh, this hour are Joseph Greenspan, who's president of Wealth Diagnostics and Rick Vondersitt, who's the Senior Editor at Wealth Diagnostics. Welcome to the show, both of you. Thank you, Jordan. Thank you, Jordan. Let's just talk a little bit about uh, what you do at Wealth Diagnostics. Just give us a general overview, and then we'll start getting into the specifics of what you do.
3: Okay. Well, the general overview is that Wealth Diagnostics, uh, we feel that we've made investing in mutual funds uh, obsolete, and we do this with uh, superior cash flow research, and uh, then we also give the ability to execute it on a low-cost platform. So that would be it
2: now. a nutshell. That, that was in a nutshell. That was good. Um, why don't we just maybe start with the problem? You said you're making mutual funds obsolete. Uh, what are some of the problems that people are having uh, investing in mutual funds? Because that's the way most people think uh, is the best way to do it. You're diversified. You've got professional management. What's wrong with mutual funds?
3: Well, actually, uh, one of the the big issues right now with mutual funds is the tax liability or tax exposure, meaning that with uh, all the selling that's been going on, if somebody's been in a mutual fund, and even though they didn't participate necessarily in the capital gains or the increase in share price, uh, these fund managers with all the redemptions uh, are selling, and if you're a holder of that mutual fund, you then would have uh, tax liability. And uh, not only that, but you'd also have... um, you know, the value of your investment's gone down, so you're kind of getting a double whammy, and that's obviously not, you know, not an exciting position to be in.
2: So let's explain that. Let's just give an example of how that would work. Say you had a mutual fund that started this year at $20 a share, and you bought into it at $20 a share. And now, just to make life easy, say it's $10 a share. It's gone down 50%, which lots of them have done that and more. Uh, They now sold some stocks during the year on which they earned capital gains because they had, bought it years ago at, at earlier prices, and say they distribute $3 a share on a capital gains distribution, sometimes towards the end of November, early December. So the price of your shares will go from $10 to $7, and then you'll get $3 in capital gains distribution, and that $3 is taxable to you, even though the value of fund has fallen from 20 to 10 Is, is that correct? Yes, that's correct. Um, and this probably comes to a surprise as a surprise to a lot of investors who don't feel like they're earning a lot of capital gains right now with what's happening to the markets right
3: no yeah actually i've heard people say what their 401k's turning into a 201k
2: if not um, less yeah yeah
3: less than that but yeah uh so that's going to be you know pretty uh hard pill to swallow for a lot of people that they're uh, actually going to get a, a tax bill and their uh, investments going down 50
2: percent so um and then that $3 is not only distributed to them, but they have to pay a tax on it. So they're going to get a, a 1099 on that in January saying you owe taxes on this $3 per share capital gains. that you. And,
4: and there's a way to avoid that, too. How is that? Gordon? Well, and of course, with, uh, you know, what you'll be doing is you'll be giving that information to your accountant, filing your tax return, and you'll, you're going to end up having those capital gains added to your income, paying taxes on it, which I, I, that just doesn't sound like a good deal to me, um, and you know, being in the financial services industry as long as I have, that is one thing that a lot of financial planners do not explain to their to the mutual fund investors because it's just a common knowledge that people think mutual funds are pretty much the only way to invest. Yeah, and that's why our system, we make mutual funds obsolete. Ours is a better way, but one one technique of Solving this problem that is going to hit most people that are in mutual funds in a taxable account because these gains are paid out typically in December. One way to avoid that, if you actually have a loss, is you can sell out of that mutual fund, and if you then have a loss, you'll actually be switching your position instead of actually having a, an increase in taxable income. You'll, you can actually take a loss, and you could write up up. To, Write off up to $3,000 of your loss on your income taxes.
2: Against income, but you can take the losses against other gains as well, unlimitedly. Correct. Yeah. So you're saying, I mean, what a financial advisor would typically say is, if you sell today at a low price, you're locking in a loss, you never have a chance to recover from that.
4: Well, they want you to buy and hold. They want you to stick through it and ride through it. And the, the thing is, our system actually avoids, this is a major pitfall of mutual funds, and our system avoids this pitfall of actually having, incurring a taxable event while your fund has lost money. In our system, if your account is down and you actually have lost money, um, you're not going to have a taxes to pay, income taxes. It doesn't make sense. So we completely... Uh, we avoid this uh, this major pitfall in mutual funds, and it's going to be an ugly one this year because we're in a recession. People are losing their jobs. The last thing you want is they have to pay income taxes on your investment that has lost money.
2: It's like a phantom income to some extent. Correct.
4: It's going to catch people by surprise because they will not be aware of it. They'll get the statements in the mail. They probably won't really look at them, and they'll give it to their accountant. And a lot of them are going to pay income taxes and, and probably not even, not even be aware of it. And okay. the, the mutual fund industry just doesn't like to talk about it.
2: So that's what you call the tax trap. The other thing you talk about mutual funds is the high fees, strangling returns. Uh, tell me how that works and why that's, fees are so high at a time when things are declining so much.
4: Do you want me to take that, Joe? Yeah, go ahead, Rick. Well, typically in a mutual fund, you'll have management fees. So those are the fees that the, the money manager gets. It's definitely, they earn the fees. That's fine. There's no problem earning the fees. Um, those fees can range anywhere from, let's say, on the super low and a half a percent up to 2%. One thing that you don't see are the trading costs in those funds. When they're buying and selling securities, they incur trading costs. <clears throat> That's not part of the management fee or, and also not part of the sales charges. So you can have... Your typical mutual fund could have anywhere from one and a half percent to three and a half percent.
2: It doesn't cost. sound like that much to the average person. What's the difference between one and three percent? Doesn't sound like very much.
4: Well, it does. It adds up to be a huge amount of money, um, Joe. Do you, I don't know if you have the statistics. It's, it adds up to be hundreds of thousands of dollars. Let's say if you were to earn one and a half percent more, and Joe, we figured out what was it? What were the numbers on a hundred thousand dollar investment?
3: Actually, we used on uh, a $100,000 investment over a 25-year period. You know, a difference in a couple percent can actually equate to, on $100,000, uh, uh, around $1. $1.5 million.
2: I think was... That's the amount of the fees? would end up to be $1.5 million?
3: No. You know what? Actually, what we did is we had an example of the average return on mutual funds and then uh, a couple percent higher than the uh, S&P 500. Uh-huh. So, um yeah. And that's where, you know, the few percentage over time equates to a substantial amount of money. So,
2: so even though it sounds like a small amount, 1% to 3%, it, it does add up over It can here. actually
3: add up. It, it can actually eat up about, you know, it's eaten into 25% or more of your returns with the uh, management and trading costs.
2: Okay. The next thing you talk about are kickbacks. What, what kind of kickbacks are mutual funds taking? and How does that hurt investors?
3: Well, what happens uh, with... Um, and that was written up in Arthur Levitt's book, um, and uh, he covered the, the uh, seven deadly sins of mutual funds. And he talked about some of these soft costs that uh, mutual fund companies are able to get back uh, and use for, you know, I mean, it's kind of like a, uh, a kickback for directing where they're, um, uh, uh, what mutual funds that they're buying. And that, you know, obviously those are uh, fees that aren't necessarily disclosed to the uh,
4: can I, can I give an example of that? Yeah, sure. An example of that would be just, let's say, a well-known firm, you know, uh, I, and I'm not saying this is happening, but it could be Merrill Lynch or Goldman Sachs, and you have a financial advisor working at that firm. Someone goes to that firm by, as a client and buys mutual funds. It just might happen that one of the funds that the firm or fund family that they're encouraging their advisors to put clients in is... Fund family that let's say might be paying them ten uh, percent, uh, or it would be a, a ten basis point fee on that. Uh, they're paying it to the firm um, on the, those fund sales. So it's a, it's an additional incentive that doesn't go to the financial advisor. Um, that the that the mutual fund company will pay the firm, the company. Let's it's, say it's Maryland, coming out of
2: your, your shareholder money. Ultimately, you're saying.
4: Yeah, it's, it's, it, they take it essentially out of their fees, they're out of their management fees, and they pay that firm. So it's, it's a way, uh, you know, if you go to, if there's certain, um, certain, um, organizations, whether it be Merrill Lynch or Goldman Sachs or, um, AG Edwards, and they typically have mutual fund families that they favor. And that typically comes from the top, the top down, and those are mutual fund investments, that they encourage their financial planners to use,
2: and this is because of compensation. That's why they particularly favor those, right?
4: Yes, and you know, of course, they're good. They're good fund families too. So it's 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 not that they're terrible investments, and it's just because of the fee. So they they definitely do. To, it's got to be a uh, you know a pass the inspection of being a good quality investment. But that that's what those those uh, hidden fees are.
2: The next thing you say is that uh, most many mutual funds do not beat their benchmarks, and therefore you're paying management fees for underperformance. Is, is that still been true in, in uh, lately, and, and is that something you'd expect to continue?
4: Joe, can I give an example of that? Yeah, go ahead. <clears throat> I just uh, just before the call, I just kind of did a rundown of um, I, I mean typically it's on average it's let's say seventy five percent of the funds out there don't really beat their corresponding benchmark. So let's say most people use as a benchmark as the S&P 500, and that's essentially what the total stock market does. And I just went and picked out eight different mutual funds, and these are from extremely well-known mutual fund companies. Um, one of them is from a no-load group, and the other two fund families, well-respected, um, great management team, everything's great. And out of the eight only one of them, and I looked in the past two weeks, because the last two weeks have not been that great in the stock market, the S&P was down 9.66% for the last two weeks. So out of eight funds, only one of the eight beat the S&P 500.
2: So that's continuing. So you're saying you're paying a lot in management fees, and you could have done much better just doing the index, basically. (laughs)
4: Yeah, the, although we beat the we beat the index um, now over since inception of our our uh, portfolios, <clears throat> which was February sixth um, of two thousand and eight, and I went back and looked at the same eight mutual funds, well-respected, high-performing funds, and one again, one of them again beat the S and P. One out of eight. Yeah, and the rest be... of them didn't. And <clears throat> our fund, of course, now I'm looking at our growth fund, um, has beat the S&P and beat all eight of them.
2: Yeah. Since we're we're going to get into the wealth diagnostics specifically uh, you know, after the break and get to how the system works. Uh, by the way, if people are interested in finding out more about what Joe Greenspan and Rick Vanderson are, are offering, uh, they have a mm-hmm. website, which is wealthdiagnostics.com. Uh, which is a newsletter that kind of tells you what their current picks are and how their entire uh, system uh, works. And we're going to get into that more after the break, what they call their uh, cash flow system. Uh, I'm speaking again with uh, Joe Greenspan, who's president of Wealth Diagnostics, and Rick Vondersitt, uh, who's the senior editor at Wealth Diagnostics. And we'll be back after this.
0: internet's only all business and financial radio network voice america business
1: what can you tell me about skills usa
4: skills usa teaches you employability skills so you know how to deal with people you have teamwork your resume is going to look awesome
1: well it's important to know your technical skills but not only that to have soft skills the skills of learning how to communicate with people on the web at skillsusa.org why is pepsi cooler than coke why are ipods so popular in 2005 how can you launch a successful brand want to know learn about the fascinating and intriguing world of graphic design and branding on design matters with debbie millman Every Friday at 12 Pacific Standard Time, Debbie Millman will provide you with a provocative look into the stimulating world of design as it intersects with contemporary culture. Hear what the experts have to say about creating, maintaining, and launching a brand in today's challenging marketplace. Join us every Friday at 12 Pacific Standard Time for Design Matters with Debbie Millman. Right here on the bottom line in business talk, Voice America Business. both their products and services are invited to become members of the money answers network the public can sign up for membership in the money answers network at no charge in order to be apprised of the latest useful resources to learn more visit www.moneyanswers.com get ahead with money answers
0: the internet's only all business and financial radio network voice america business
1: You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan.
2: Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host, and my guests this hour are Joe Greenspan, who's president of Wealth Diagnostics, and Rick Vondersit, who's the senior editor at Wealth Diagnostics. Welcome back to the show, both of you. Thank you, Jordan. We just want to be clear on something before. Uh, we were saying... Uh, if you earn 1.5% more over a longer period of time because your fees are lower, tell us again how much uh, money you would save over a longer period of time.
4: Well, Jordan, what we did is we actually have, these are, these are facts that, um, and actually it's a, it's a little bit later, but it can give you a picture. As of July 28, 2008, going back 25 years, the S&P 500, which is the overall stock market, has averaged 11% per year for that 25-year period. Mm -hmm. Now, the average mutual fund, now this was 8,312 mutual funds, they averaged 9.7% per year. Okay? So the difference is a little bit less than 1.5%. So you asked, oh, 1.5%, is that a big deal? Does that really matter? So what we did is we said, if you have $10,000 today invested that little difference in that percentage over that 25 years is $150,000. If you have $50,000 invested today, that little difference in that percentage is about 730000 And if you have $100,000, which many people have in their retirement accounts, $100,000, over the 25 years, it's $1.5 million dollars.
2: So it really does add up, as your point, yes. Okay, I just want to be clear about that. I, I just want to go on briefly about uh, what the problems are with mutual funds, which is what most people, uh, you know, worry about. Um, you say that uh, past returns uh, are used to mislead uh, in getting into, you know, future returns. How, how is the, do mutual funds do that? Joe, you want to
3: take that? Yeah, out? very simply. I mean, they'll be, you know, showing you the returns that they had on a uh, – on On one of their funds, and it 's giving people the uh idea that that 's going to be what their future returns are going to be, which it could have just been you know that portion of time where it did well, and you know people just think that then that 's going to be my return, so that 's misleading
2: yeah, and often they don 't get and they get in after it 's already up a lot, so they 're putting hot money after a hot fund, and then at the peak, <laughs> a lot of people don 't actually end up getting those kind of returns right. Uh, you also say that many mutual fund managers talk about being long term but in fact their trading is more short term. H- how does that uh, hurt investors?
3: yeah, I think that we 've seen it uh, well if it 's a um, uh, a taxable account, obviously that 's uh, increasing their capital gains exposure, uh, which we say averages at least two point three a year, two point three percent a year on uh, somebody 's um, returns and um, so they 're not necessarily using a buy and hold strategy and um, you know, they might look to sell the lock in some returns so they can make things look good uh, for okay. short term. And
2: then
4: well, they're, they're turning over the securities. They're, uh, an average fund, and you can see in the prospectus, which most people don't read, of the fund, it'll tell you what percentage of the fund is turned over, which means they would say if, let's say, 35% of the fund is turned over, that means 35% of the securities have been bought and sold within that twelve month period.
2: And many have higher turnover ratios than thirty five percent.
4: Yeah, I've I've seen towards the low end I've seen twenty five percent, and on the high end I've seen as much as a hundred
2: percent. Yeah. And the more aggressive funds. And then finally you say that uh, bad funds kind of disappear and their performance is rolled into better funds and so if you've had a bad time it kind of somehow disappears. Is that done frequently?
3: Yeah, actually, you know, and I could talk from personal experience on this because I, you know, I, what what ended up happening was I'd always look at my statement and I'm always wondering how come I'm just not getting the returns, you know, that I'm looking at the percentage that they're telling me, my fund statement was saying I was making. And this was years ago when the maximum you could put in is $2,000 a year for retirement, so I knew exactly how much I put in. And I'm like, okay, how can they be telling I'm making 6.5% uh, average return and it's less than the $2,000 I gave them. And I just, I didn't understand. How could that possibly be? And uh, what happened was they rolled the poor performing fund into a better performing fund, and then they're giving me the returns of the better performing fund. So, you know, if you're, you feel if you're putting you money looked. in on an annual basis, if you're not necessarily keeping track of what you're putting into that fund, you're not really going to know. And you're just going to look and say, okay, well, I'm doing pretty good. Well, I think people need to be watching, and Pretty Good isn't good enough. Because, as we said, a couple percent have a huge impact on somebody's uh, returns. And we're not talking about just being in a position to, um, you know, go out to dinner when you retire. We're talking about creating a legacy and, you know, what you're going to leave behind for your kids and grandkids and education and things like that. It's a substantial difference, and people need to be watching.
4: Well, Joe, one thing... And, Jordan, one thing about our system is that you can actually track the performance of your actual account. Yeah, so very it's transparent. transparent. will give you the performance figures of your account, so you're not just getting a document from a company that says, hey, guess what, we made 10% last year. You, you can see what your account is doing.
2: Yeah. Okay, so we've, we've now explained why you don't think mutual funds are such a good idea and all the pitfalls that people don't often see. Uh, now let's get into the way you analyze stocks, because uh, you're saying that Wall Street, uh, which concentrates on earnings per share, is kind of missing the boat, and you like, in, in, uh, as an alternative, what you call operational cash flow per share. Uh, maybe, Joe, you can take a look at that briefly, and I'll explain the difference between those two and how your system catches errors and finds opportunities that Wall Street is not seeing.
3: Yeah, we actually have an example on our website. Um, and what happens is everybody knows Wall Street chases earnings per share. you don't have to be necessarily a sophisticated investor to no, know that's what they talk about and uh, we have found that a better indicator of a company's health would be the cash flow and an example, uh, our research provider, uh, stock Diagnostics, did a post-mortem on Enron and knew that that company was having problems at fifty eight dollars a share and you know it was a strong buy, and all those mutual fund Managers and uh, pension fund managers and individuals um, obviously lost all their money. So, our system is able to pick that type of stuff up because uh, cash flow precedes earnings.
2: Okay, so maybe explain that a little bit more as to how cash flow proceeds earnings. Because, I mean, all these highly paid analysts and everybody on Wall Street and the <coughs> CNBC are all watching these earnings per share numbers. How can the entire financial community? Be fooled and be wrong and be misleading everybody. It just seems almost impossible.
4: Let, let me point that out, Joe. Okay. <clears throat> um, that that is true, uh, Jordan. I guess that's that's the initial reaction that that a lot of people do have is that how can all these guys miss this? Um, first of all, I guess to to point out a perfect example of this is if you were to go look at our data, which we in one of our presentations we do show the data. That in 2007, we're showing negative cash flow in the financial sector. So there were two quarters of severely negative cash flow, while these companies still had earnings per share. Um, the cash flow precedes the earnings. So first you get the negative cash flow, and then several quarters down the road, you then it shows up as negative earnings. Um, and it works in reverse too. You'll show positive cash flow first. And then several quarters down the road, you'll show an increase in earnings per share. So an example of that is, let's say, you purchase something um, at a particular company. You put it on your credit card. So what happens is you walk into a store, you buy some clothes, you put it on the store charge card. So what happens is the store, at that time, books the revenue. Let's say you charged $100 at, well, I'll use the Gap an example okay you bought some blue jeans they they show that hundred dollars as earnings so that shows up as eps but you put it on the gaps credit card and i'm using simple examples because it doesn't work exactly like that but you'll put it on the card and then um, they won't actually receive the cash because you're going to pay that off over time so where companies run into trouble is let's say if you end up filing bankruptcy and you never pay off that credit card they, they, they counted the revenue, yet they didn't actually collect the money from you. And this is um, something that happened with Sears a few years ago, where Sears' credit card division was losing money and they ended up selling it off. Um, that was one of the problems they had. Um, so that, that's where the, um, you know, the, the, the cash flow uh, does precede earnings. You want to look at how much cash is actually coming in.
2: Are these calculations people can do on their own for the operational cash flow per share?
4: Well, we the, the research that we use, and we're uh, founding investors in this firm from about eight years ago, um, called Stock Diagnostics, and stockdiagnostics.com um, has a, a retail version. You can go in there and just look at individual stocks. There's an advanced version that we use um, that's not available to the public, but it's um, it, it, the system analyzes roughly 10,000 individual stocks, and it looks at 1,801 data points on the financial statement. So there's a lot of number crunching going on within this system, and then we just get the data, so it's very easy for us to get all of that data. Um, I heard of, of a company that actually had 100 financial analysts crunching numbers for them in, based in India that we're calculating, coming up with all this information for a fund manager to manage the fund. So you can see how much you could actually spend by people crunching the numbers.
2: So the answer is no. <laughs> this is not something people can do themselves. Oh, it's.
3: No, it's, absolutely not. Yeah, because we use the aggregate number. The, the software is able to uh, uh, compare the aggregate historical metrics, and uh, there's over 1,801 data points, so no, it would be too
2: complicated. And so individual. you're doing it by individual company and industry group, is that right? You're getting cash flows for both individual companies yeah. and businesses.
4: yeah, yeah. Because then what we'll do is then we'll we'll group them together in industry groups, and that's how we we can use it for ETFs. Uh, and, and you know that's a that's a real good point, Jordan. As far as that people can't do this because when you when most people buy an investment, they only look at what's offered to them, whether it be in Money Magazine or on various. Um, websites, So it's very difficult. They can't get the cash flow numbers. And um, we had an article published by Stock Diagnostics, and this was back in September of 2007. And there were the five main brokerage firms, Goldman Sachs, Merrill Lynch, Bear Stearns, Morgan Stanley, and Lehman Holdings, and it showed substantial negative cash flow on their financial statements.
2: Okay, very good. Okay, I'm speaking with uh, the two top guys at Wealth Diagnostics, Joe Greenspan, who's president, and Rick Vondersitt, uh, who's the senior editor at Wealth Diagnostics. Uh, Their website, again, is wealthdiagnostics.com. And after the break, we're going to go into the details of how they invest their money, now that you understand operational cash flow and what they have as far as problems with uh, mutual funds. We'll be back after this.
0: bottom line in business voice america business
3: tune in every tuesday at 8 a.m pacific time for the growth strategist with aldona ambler on the show aldona and some of today's top business professionals will discuss some of today's most pressing business issues that hold you the business owner back Aldana will also give you 21 ways to grow with her list of growth strategies grow smart grow profit and grow your business with
2: Aldana Ambler and the Grow Strategist every Tuesday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, right here on the bottom line in business talk, Voice America Business.
1: Skills USA can help. What is Skills USA?
4: Skills USA is life-changing.
0: Skills USA is awesome.
1: Skills USA is one of the biggest opportunities life can give you.
2: Skills
0: USA is amazing.
1: Skills USA is motivating. Skills USA specifically prepares you for the workforce. Skills USA empowers students to connect with a network of people, starting with their classmates, to their advisors, to other people in their state.
0: The Internet's only all-business and financial radio network, Voice America Business.
1: You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan.
2: Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host and my guest this hour are Joseph Greenspan, who's the president of Wealth Diagnostics, and Rick Vondersit, who's the senior editor at Wealth Diagnostics. Welcome back to the show, both of you. Thank you, Jordan. We now want to get into your system and how it works. We've described so far about the problems you see with mutual funds. We've described about uh, operational cash flow per share and how that's a better way of evaluating companies and industries uh, than traditional earnings per share. Uh, tell us now how you assemble a portfolio of free people and, and uh, how it works for them.
3: Okay. Well, a couple things uh, starting off is we utilize in our system fractional shares where, uh, since there is no minimum investment, usually with, uh, say, mutual funds, you need uh, anywhere from 500 to $2,500 to buy into a mutual fund. We have no minimums, and uh, we get into seven ETFs, and an ETF is basically uh, a basket of stocks. Uh, so uh, we have seven of them, and since we do fractions, uh, you're actually able. A share price could be say eighty dollars, and if you're going to invest say one hundred dollars, uh, we're only going to buy out of the seven ETFs approximately fourteen dollars and thirty cents of that eighty dollars share price because we're able to buy a, a fraction. So that's one of the ways we're able to do this. Uh, the other thing is. Uh, our diversification, since we are using fractional shares and our low-cost platform, uh, our diversification compared to a mutual fund, mutual funds have an average of 50 to 130 stocks. Uh, and our system, uh, an example in our cash flow growth, has over 7,700 holdings. So that's far superior diversification, uh, especially, you know, in what's been happening in this market. So... Um, and so I you, guess you have seven other-
2: ETFs, is that correct? You have, at any time you have seven ETFs, so the money that you invest is diversified amongst the seven ETFs, and the ETFs themselves, you say, are widely diversified. Is that the way it works?
4: Yes. We have, Jordan, we have two model portfolios. We have more of a, a growth-oriented portfolio and then a, a preservation, more of a conserve your, your investment-type portfolio. And we have seven ETFs in each of those portfolios. So we have the two models that you can, that you can follow.
0: And what, and what the Joe universe? was saying is
4: in the, our growth portfolio at this time, there's over 7,700 individual holdings within that portfolio.
2: And what is the universe from which you choose the seven ETFs at any particular time?
4: The universe. Well, we're going to only stick with the ETFs that are more of your actively traded ETFs um we're not going to go with those the thinly traded ETFs in the event that we need to to sell out of a particular ETF um, we wouldn't want to have an um, a dramatic influence on the price and if it was a thinly traded ETF and all of our subscribers sold out it might drive the price down so we're going to deal with more of the big names
2: roughly, what is that universe? How many ETFs are you potentially going to be able to go into?
4: Uh, There's potentially, you know, I'd say there's maybe about 75. And with the different ETFs that are out there, uh, you know, there could be five different ETFs that would be considered consumer staple type securities.
3: Mm -hmm.
4: And so if we're going to go into that, what we'll do is we'll go with, if iShares has one and their cost is higher than, let's say, Vanguard, and it's going to essentially, the, the returns are, the, the funds are going to mirror themselves. We're going to go with the lower cost ETF.
2: And do you also do short ETFs that can go short the market?
4: Yes, we do. Sometimes we do these short ETFs. Right now in our preservation, one of the seven is an S&P short ETF. The symbol for that is SH. And just due to the volatility that's happening in this market, as an example, in the past two weeks, the S&P 500, the stock market, was down 9.66%. And our preservation folio was up 0.83%. So we essentially beat the market by 10% in a two-week period.
2: Yeah. Now, also describe uh, the folio FN system and how people can have a very small money, so incredibly widely diversified, and how that works. Well, the,
4: the cost, actually, to when you buy a model, you go and log into our website and you purchase a model portfolio. You can fund your account, if you'd like, for as little as $100. That $100 would be split up amongst those seven ETFs. So essentially, out of the $100, $14.30 goes into each ETF, and we're able to buy fractional shares. There's an very, I, I have not come across any other system out there. I've searched high and low and searched through the internet and there's nothing out there that does this. Now the cost is seven dollars per month. So essentially it's a dollar per trade. Any trades you do over seven dollars is also a dollar. So you, if let's say you wanted a dollar cost average, you could put a100 dollars a month, thousand dollars a month. Even if you have a million dollars and you want to invest it, you're in seven ETFs, over 7,000 holdings. You get much greater diversification than a mutual fund.
2: Okay. And how uh, do you communicate changes in your portfolio to your subscribers when you're switching from one ETF to another or you're switching many of them?
4: Well, that's a good question. And we always say that if, if you have about five to ten minutes per month to take a look at your investments, and to keep tabs on what is, is going on, that's all you need. What will happen is if we make a change to the model, you will then get an email that says a change has been made to, to the model that you're invested in. Please log into your website and do the change. Now, I've walked people through this change, and it takes about 15 seconds. Once you're logged into the account, and all you do is you sync up to our model because our model is already built into the website. Yeah, with going our there. recommendations.
3: Yeah, people don't have to, you know, take our recommendations and then plug them in and then buy. Basically, it's embedded because you're going through our our site, and then those folios or those portfolios are actually already set up, and all you're doing is syncing uh, your account with our account, and it's that simple.
2: And uh, and what has been the track record of your wealth diagnostics portfolios compared to? Benchmarks, the S and P five hundred, whatever you compare it to over various periods of time.
4: Well, of course, the, the preservation. I just said that in the past two weeks, uh, and and I use that the two weeks because it's been it's been bad for the market. Okay, down nine point six six percent.
2: over over longer periods of time, I mean.
4: Well, since inception, um, I it, for our growth portfolio, I took an example of eight different mutual funds, and I think we might have talked about this a little bit before. Um, These are well-known, very substantial mutual fund companies, and out of eight of these mutual funds, I looked at the past two weeks, which was bad for the stock market, and our funds since inception, and we've beat, uh, out of 18 different time periods, we've beat them on 17 of the 18.
2: roughly by how much? Just give us a raise of...
4: Well, on average, for the two-week period, by 2.66%. And since inception, which is a nine-month period, by 7%.
2: And would you expect that to continue? I mean, you talk about setting expectations correctly. What should people expect going forward?
4: We don't, you know, of course, past performance doesn't uh, guarantee future results. But I guess you kind of have to let those returns speak for themselves. Um, When you look at our preservation... Our preservation is beating, um, I took three very well-known, and, and these are, I'm sure, the, the managers of these funds are paid millions of dollars. Um, we're, we're we're beating the big boys. And, you know, typically the smaller companies, the smaller firms, do better than the larger firms, yep. from what I'm seeing. You know, the, the unknowns.
2: So basically the I idea would expect
4: is... expect us to continue.
2: By diversifying, by keeping costs low by now having the capital gains tax events, those in itself are giving you an advantage to begin with, and then you're in the right sectors that have positive operating cash flow as opposed to negative. And that's, so all those things are combining to give you a better performance at lower cost uh, than average mutual funds. Is that what you're saying?
4: Correct. It's, it's not real complicated. We keep it very simple. We look for if, if there's some really bad negative cash flow, we're going to get rid of that ETF. We're going to look for the ones that have better cash flow the low cost, if if our cost is just one, we use the example, 1.3% less, and so we're able to do the same returns, but we have lower costs, that's $1.5 million over a 25-year period with a $100,000 investment.
2: Yeah. So tell people now, if they want to find out more, uh, how they can find out more about your system and, and potentially sign up for it.
3: Joe? Okay, <clears throat> Well, one way, obviously, um, they can go to our website, uh, WealthDiagnostics.com. Also, another way is uh, we have an agreement with a company called Financial Destination, Inc., and um, you can actually go to AverageAmericanMillionaire.com forward slash money answers, and we actually have an uh, an arrangement where people get a substantial discount on the system, and it's also packaged up with uh, a host of other... Uh, valuable uh, financial tools and resources.
2: What is the cost of it if they went right to WealthDiagnostics.com? Uh,
3: 129 a month.
2: And what do they actually get for that?
3: Well, they get the newsletter service, they get uh, news alerts, and then they get access to the portfolios uh, with the um, uh, portfolios embedded on the co-branded site with the low-cost trading platform at $7 a month.
2: I see, okay. $1 then, per
3: trade. $1 per trade.
2: And this is not something they can get on their own, then?
3: No. they w- No, they cannot.
2: Uh-huh. All right, and again, if they go through Financial Destination, Inc., uh, FDI, uh, the website for that is averageamericanmillionaire.com backslash money answers, and uh, it's part of an entire system where it helps you with financial plans, helping you get out of debt. Uh, it helps you with doctors and all kinds of other things. So yeah, that's you got a-
3: access to financial planners. you got uh, accountants. Um, all types of financial tools to give the advantage to the individual to succeed.
2: Very good. Okay, we're going to come back and get into this more detail. Uh, I'm speaking again with Joe Greenspan, who's president of Wealth Diagnostics, and Rick Vondersitt, who's senior editor at Wealth Diagnostics, their website, wealthdiagnostics.com. We'll be back after this.
0: The bottom line in business, Voice America Business.
1: Why is Pepsi cooler than Coke? Why are iPods so popular? In 2005, how can you launch a successful brand? Want to know? Learn about the fascinating and intriguing world of graphic design and branding on Design Matters with Debbie Millman. Every Friday at 12 Pacific Standard Time, Debbie Millman will provide you with a provocative look into the stimulating world of design as it intersects with contemporary culture. Hear what the experts have to say about creating, maintaining, and launching a brand in today's challenging marketplace. Join us every Friday at 12 Pacific Standard Time for Design Matters with Debbie Millman right here on The Bottom Line in Business Talk, Voice America Business.
0: The Bottom Line in Business, Voice America Business.
1: You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to
2: Jordan. Welcome back to the Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host, and my guests this hour are Joe Greenspan, who's president of Wealth Diagnostics, and Rick Bondersit, who's the senior editor at Wealth Diagnostics. Welcome back to the show, guys. Thanks, Jordan. Uh, we were talking about uh, the cost of waiting. A lot of people are very scared about their mutual funds. They've, they've had some huge losses here. Uh, why should somebody sell now and, and, as opposed to say, well, they'll come back, I'll just wait it out, and, and uh, when these things come back, I'll be fine.
4: Well, I I would say first of all, Jordan would be if you're in mutual funds and it's in a taxable account. We talked about how you're going to have incur capital gains taxes, um, and you can check with your mutual fund company and find out what they're expecting to pay out. So, who wants to pay income taxes when you have a loss? If you have an actual loss and you then sell out of your fund, you then will be able to write off that loss up to whatever types of uh, gains that you have on other investments, but you also can write off up to $3,000 of your income. So we have the tax reason for you to sell your fund and, and do it, if you have an up day in the stock market, that would be a good day to sell, because you end up get, selling at closing price. Now, of course, you don't want to lose on the upside. So all the experts say, make sure you're in the type of investment that is going to allow you to be able to recoup what you have lost. You want to be in the best investment vehicle that you can. With our with the wealth diagnostics folios that we have, for example, the growth folio, we have the low costs, the diversification, we're in over seven thousand securities, versus a typical mutual fund which only has about a hundred different stocks in it. So you get greater diversification, greater safety, lower cost, and we feel that you would be poised to be able to uh, regain some of those losses. Now, if you're really nervous about what is going on in the markets and you want to kind of sit on the sidelines, our preservation folio, which is one of the two that you could pick, as I said in the past two weeks, that fund was actually up roughly 1%, where the stock market was down 10%.
2: And what's in that uh, preservation portfolio, just roughly?
4: Well, the preservation is mainly we're in there with treasury securities, fixed income type securities. One of the ETFs is cash, and then we have the the one of the ETFs is an S&P short. So that goes up when the market goes down.
2: Okay, and what is on the growth portfolio these days?
4: Well, the growth, the growth portfolio is, um, the majority of that is equities. Um, we have one of uh, the ETFs is a consumer staples ETF. The symbol is VDC, consumer staples. That would be a, if we're in a recession, people are still going to buy toothpaste. They're still going to buy toilet paper. They're going to buy cigarettes, beer. That's your consumer staples. That's one that we have in there. Another one we have. The symbol is IBB. That is a biotech ETF. Now, as a comparison, um, healthcare actually um, the cat uh, it's exhibiting. Um, decreases in cash flow. But in the biotech arena, we're actually showing some cash flow growth, so we like that.
2: So So all seven of the sectors in the growth portfolio are currently showing positive cash flow, the way you're looking at it. Is that correct? Yes. And and you're saying that there's always going to be some sectors uh, that are going to have positive cash flow, even if the economy is in recession.
4: Yes, and, and sometimes too that doesn't necessarily mean it's going to go up right now if there's positive cash flow because, of course, if everybody's selling, it's going to go down. But what we're talking about is when the market goes back up, when the sentiment changes, um, and also, too, if you're dollar-cost averaging, which is we recommend the way you decide which portfolio to choose, if you have money that's sitting there and you're not adding to it, the preservation is a good place. You should. We have... The yield on that portfolio is roughly 5.5%. So you're getting paid to wait. If that does not go up or down, you're at the 5.5%. The growth portfolio is a great investment if you're thinking much longer term. That would be several years, 5 to 10 years, 15 years. And if you're adding to it, if you're dollar-cost averaging, because then you're buying more shares when it goes down. And that's when you're, when you're into the, the growth fund, you're going to gain the most benefit.
3: Yeah, I mean, an example with our system, we actually, um, with a subscription fee, you could have multiple accounts under that one uh, subscription as far as under, the like, say, a couple custodial accounts for kids. And, you know, uh, right now, I mean, I'm dollar-cost averaging in for my I have a child that's five years old and one that's two years old, so I'm still dollar-cost averaging in on our cash flow growth you know it's a dollar cost averaging strategy but obviously yeah, on the lump sum we're saying that you know it's time to preserve your capital so you have some when the uh... market changes and then you could get back in because we are thinking that the markets going to go down further and um, you know we want to be able to have capital to take advantage of that uh... when that happens so we, we strongly believe people should not be waiting and just thinking things are going to get better um, because that's just going to eat eat away at their principle that they're going to have to to invest.
2: What has been the reaction to Wall Street to uh Wealth Diagnostics? It's kind of such a different idea from what they're used to doing. Have they been antagonistic towards it?
3: Well, I know that it's been written up in uh Money Magazine, Smart Money, uh Forbes. Um, I mean, it has been written up as, as far as um, Wall Street, Rick, do you Well,
4: <coughs> You know, here, here's an example. Let me give you an example of when uh, we wrote the article of the five brokerage firms, okay? Um, Goldman Sachs, Merrill Lynch, Bear Stearns, Morgan Stanley, and Lehman Holdings, okay? And this was back in September of '07. You have, to, you have to imagine if you're an analyst and you are working at Bear Stearns and you are seeing substantial negative cash flow, are you going to go tell everyone that they need to sell your stock and get out of it, the, the, the problem with with that is that they're, they can't do it. There's no way they could do it. They'd be destroying their own company. So with, with the bonuses that are paid out, with the, the, way, the, the incentives that the analysts have, it's, it's dis- obviously distorting the information that they're going to be providing to the public. So what we're offering is we're totally independent, and we're just providing the research, and we're telling it like it is. The, the, the thing is most of the investment communica- investment community is tied in with those incentives.
3: And actually if they do want a copy of the article, they can go to our special reports on our website and uh, request it, and they can actually read it and get that information on our website.
2: Before I close, I do want to tell people again how they can find out more about what you offer. You have a website, which is wealthdiagnostics.com. You say that your newsletter and service is $129 a month, or you can go to the Financial Destination website, which is uh, www.averageamericanmillionaire.com backslash money answers, and uh, Wealth Diagnostics is offered. Actually, at that point, you call it retirement solutions as well. Is that correct? Right. It's offered as part of a suite of financial services, financial planning, helping you get out of credit card debt, uh, access to doctors, all kinds of other things. So you can get it as part of it at no extra charge. That way you have to invest the money, but there's no extra fees involved if you do it as part of FDI. Well, we have about a minute to go. Why don't we just briefly sum up why what you do is going to do better for people in this kind of market than what they're used to with mutual funds?
3: Well, clearly we have uh, better research, you know, using the uh, cash flow analytics And uh, our cost structure is just significantly breathtaking lower uh, than mutual funds. And uh, it's also set up for the novice investor just getting started or the sophisticated investor. And, um, you know, the returns of performance speak for themselves. It's extremely easy to use. And um, we think it's going to transform the way people actually analyze stocks.
4: Well, something real important I think we can take out of all this crisis here is that nobody cares about your money more than you do. And so it's worth it for you to take five or ten minutes a month and take a look at what your investments are doing. And if you're in a system like ours, you're involved a little bit with what you're doing and versus just leaving it up to somebody else and ignoring your money. You cannot ignore your money anymore. And this, is, this crisis is a perfect uh, example as to why you can't be doing that.
2: Very good. Well, thank you so much. My guests this hour have been Joe Greenspan, who's president of Wealth Diagnostics, and Rick Vondersitt, who's the senior editor at Wealth Diagnostics. Again, you can find out more about them at wealthdiagnostics.com or go to the financial destination website at averageamericanmillionaire.com backslash money answers. I'm your host, Jordan Goodman, and I'll be back next week. Thanks for joining us.